climber. Songwriter contracts in Nashville are not the way they used to be. The industry has changed, and if you want to keep up with it, if you want to be a pro in today's industry, it helps to know what's going on, what are the pros up to, what are contracts like today, and that's what we're going to talk about today on The Climb. So buckle up. Johnny, do that thing. Welcome to The Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. We've been doing this longer than most artist careers on the podcast. I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) But leverage is what you're going to need to get what you want in today's music business. It's not about your talent at first. They're not going to develop your talent. They want to develop your business. So that's why we called it The Climb, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. That's a Baxter from a good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who is a hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. He's got a couple number ones in the last few years on Southern Gospel, top 10 in Australia in the last year. I mean, this man's nationwide. He's worldwide. <laughs> what I love about Brent, though, is he helps songwriters like you become professional by teaching you and revealing how to write like a pro do business like a pro and then he puts you in touch with the pros with the pros yet p-r-o-s-e as well oh (laughs) you can find brent at songwritingpro.com guys (laughs) and i would like to introduce you to my co-host johnny dwinnell johnny owns daredevil production they're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data if you're an artist looking to increase your streams blow up your video views sell more live show tickets and get discovered by new fans tv and music industry pros then daredevil production can help Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S. There is no S because there is no other Johnny D. Hey, man. How you living? What's up? Man, doing all right. Got Hazel back in school. She had her tonsils out. She was home between that and spring break for like almost three weeks. Oh, no. We survived. We survived the hurricane. We battened down the hatches. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. She's back in school finally. Woo! So, oh, thank goodness. I had my tassels out when I was like four. It was brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, she's a trooper, though. That's but that's going well. Just booked a flight out to Phoenix to see your boy, Josh Roy. Oh, you did? Yeah, all that's uh, straightened out? Well, I didn't book it. I didn't book it. His manager booked it. But yeah, we got dates. We're going. We're gonna, that's what happens when you're a baller. Yeah. We're going to try and uh, write him some hits. Now you're going to get some of that Gilbert, Arizona love from the Petty Palace, man. <laughs> The Petty Palace. Sounds like me and my wife aren't getting along. <laughs> Welcome to the Petty Palace, where all your old slights will be revived. Dude, their place is amazing, man. You can't imagine what their kitchen looks like. I mean, their fridge, I think, is custom-built or something. Custom-built fridge. It's got four doors, right? And they've got a huge stove that's like some kind of ridiculous thing. I and mean, he was a former celebrity chef, mm-hmm. the, the manager. Dennis Petty for Josh Roy is what we're talking about, you guys. So he's, uh, I mean, he's had multiple shows on the Food Network. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife, Diana, had a show on radio for a number of years. That was like really cool. And they've owned multiple restaurants over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And when they sold their last one in 2021 after the lockdowns, I think he just said, you know what? I'm going to punt. I'm done with this. 
Yeah. But what we've been doing with this artist is flying, instead of bringing Muhammad to the mountain, which this is a bass backwards way, it sounds like doing it, but we're bringing the mountain to Muhammad. Like we're bringing, mm. we're bringing all of uh, all the riders down to Arizona because then we can get them for like a, a three day stretch and we get a lot of riding done. It's kind of like a, like a riding retreat, if you will. Yeah. It's like three, five star meals a day. I mean, there's a pool. Mm-hmm. It's just a really, really, really nice place. And so I'm excited to see what y'all come up with. You and Jamie grooms are going down yeah jamie's going down there so we're they're flying us each down there and we're just gonna hit it hard for a couple days and try to y'all have dates going in the studio so let's ride in some stuff that he's gonna cut and make some money for everybody and everybody wins but uh, you know actually before we get to our all of our other stuff i think there's a little bit of a lesson here because i finally of course i've been hearing about josh from you for a while and he's probably heard my name but we had never met we whatever but then last time I was in Nashville and he was in, I guess, mm-hmm. I had a cancellation. I'm looking around to fill the co-writing spot. Yeah. Could have just sat on the porch. No, looking to fill a spot. Why? Because I'm there to work. And I mentioned it to you in the studio that night. And you're like, whoa, whoa, let me let me get something. And you got me hooked together with Josh and with Jamie. Yeah. So I'd never worked with either one of them before. And total last minute thing. Okay, so hold on, wait. First lesson was instead of just pissing and moaning that you spent all that money, you know, come to Nashville and you came there and somebody canceled on you. Right. You turned around and said, Well, what does this make possible? It, I gotta fill this spot. So I was sending out text and emails to people going, Hey, last minute opening, can you get together? Because hey, I'm here to work. And Josh and Jamie were available. So we got together at your office and wrote and he dug it. And so then the next night, the freak show, or I guess also in the studio that night, I got to meet Dennis and Diane Petty. Uh-huh. And so we hit it off. Then we hung out the freak show and after the write, and they really liked the song we wrote. And so we had a good write. Jamie and I showed up. We wrote a good song that Josh is digging. Yeah. And then next thing you know, they're going to fly us down to eat five star food yeah. and write songs. Yeah. And it wouldn't have happened. If, well, if I hadn't been in town, number one, we wouldn't have hopped on, right? Wouldn't have hopped on if, if I'd just blown it off. So I'm going to go sit on the porch or whatever. Then number two, without the cancellation, right? Cancellation showed up and did the best I could in the right. And it worked. And now it opens the door for more opportunity to do other things. So anyway, there's a lesson there. Yeah. I think opportunity is attracted to activity. Show up, always do your best. Look for opportunity. So yeah. Anyway, little mini lesson there, hopefully. Exactly. I love that, dude. And uh, man, I can't wait to see what y'all come up with. So I'm glad that'll happen. I can't wait to take pictures of food. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be fun when Dennis is like, hey, do you have any food allergies? I'm like, nope. <laughs> that's that's part of the questionnaire that comes with the cooking <laughs> the fights. You're like, hey, yeah. I need your uh, full name that's on your ID. I need your birth date. I need your uh, travel, your TKN number. And then also, do you have any food allergies? <laughs> food allergies and favorite drink. Dude, they are like, it is like. Like a- blowfish and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's amazing, dude. It's it's going to be a great experience. They roll out the red carpet. They're such generous, amazing hosts, and it's a great place to write, man. You're right there by the pool. Yeah. You're like, oh, let's get our head right. Let's jump in the pool and think about right. this. You know what I mean? Back. It's sweet. So I'm excited. So I'm looking forward to it. Also, you know, I, I just tell my kids, like, hey, some people are going to fly me out to out to Phoenix to do some work and to write songs for this artist and whatever. And they're like, oh, they're paying you to go down there. I'm like, well, they're paying for my trip and then I got to earn my key by writing good songs. And um, it was trying to teach my kids that like, if you serve people and you serve them well, good things happen. Yeah. They're not doing that to serve me. Yeah. They're bringing me out there to serve them. Yeah. But in the process, I got to do something cool and enjoyable. 
And they are going to start well, like seriously. Yes, but that's not why I'm being brought down there's favor to Brent. No, they're doing that to get his artist moving forward in his career. Yeah. And thankfully, they think that I'm a, a means to that end. Now, I win in the process. And that's what songwriting is. Like They're trying to move their careers forward, the artist is. And if we can help them do that, we win along the way. That's right. So I'm all about some Josh Roy and, and writing him a hit. That's the deal. That's why I'm there. Yeah. So and yeah. I need to be, we got the opener now. You guys wrote that opener, that show opener. Mm-hmm. That's the killer show opener, man. Now I need some hit. Yeah, I need some big songs. There we go. That's the goal. I need some freaking sing-along songs. So there you go. All right. So t- so we are on the third part of our three-part breakdown of Steve Leslie's article today, right? And we're going to talk about contracts. That's right. That's right. So, man, for the last couple of my episodes, we've been breaking down this great article, the Steve Leslie. He's a hit songwriter. He's an awesome songwriter. He's a buddy of mine as well. It, this was posted at Indie Music Academy, and it was basically songwriting in Nashville, 1992 to 2023. And... He breaks down different stuff of it. So this is our third in the series on this. So, Steve, thank you again for doing my show prep. But this one, we're going to focus on songwriter contracts and how they've changed a little bit over the past couple of decades. So you can just be up on that a little bit. Nice. Okay. Well, before we do that, let's take care of a little business here. Mm-hmm. Join the Climb community. It's at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the climb community. Super easy to get in, but you have to ask to be let in. And then we come around, let everybody in mm-hmm. and you just got to be good citizens of the community, right? Like right. we want to hear all about your gigs. We want to hear all about your new music. We want to hear all about your wins, but we give you a place to do that in comments on certain posts every single week. Don't put it in the feed. The feed is for everybody. The feed is not for you. It's for everybody. So if you've got something that's great, something you think is funny, something you think is inspirational, something you think is informational, then by all means, put that in the feed. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get a little spanking. <laughs> if you put something in the feed that's like, I'm playing South Albuquerque tomorrow. And we're all like, what? What? This isn't. No. Right. No, we have a place for that. It's under Gig Alert. It comes out on Thursday mornings. You can add to it anytime, but it's under that post. If you're there, we're happy and we'll like the post. That's right. If it's anywhere else, we don't like it and we get rid of it. Yeah. Very simple. So let's get some wins, man. What do you got for wins? Yeah. So every, every, uh, Wednesday morning, we have the New Heights post. And so we want to hear about your wins as a comment under New Heights. You can post anytime, but as a comment there. And so we're just going to share a few of these. Don't have time for all of them, which is a good problem to have. Uh, Start with Sean Squires said, played live for my first time, uh, played live for the first time in my life last week as a songwriter in Texas in front of 300 folks. Got to share the stage with the likes of Jim Beavers, Jeff Hyde, Neil Thrasher, and Paul Bogart. Nerve wracking to say the least. That is a strong lineup. There's a lot of hits with those songwriters. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Sean, that is awesome. Sean's doing some good work too. I believe he is a co-writer on one of the songs that just made our play for publisher event. And so good job, Sean. Yeah. Good job, Sean. I can't remember what song it is offhand, but it's on the list and the name rings a bell. So look at it. And he's showing up again on my brain. So good job, Sean. Yeah. Let's see here. We have Tracy Lip. You know Tracy. I love Tracy. Yes, said a metal band I work for called, is it Lordy or Lordi? L-O-R-D-I. I'm going to call it Lordy. Lordy, Lordy. (laughs) All right, Lordy asked me to star in their latest music video. 
It came out this last Friday along with the new album. I co-wrote lyrics on all the songs. This is the 18th album I've done with them. Wow. Relationship. Yeah. The album is called Scream Writers Guild. <laughs> all of the songs on the record are inspired by horror films or something having to do with movies. Jane is inspired by Jane Mansfield, who died in a car accident. She's supposedly decapitated in an accident. Ew. My character is the freak in the black and white portions. <laughs> so there you go, Tracy. Way to be a freak on film. I think okay, I, I might be wrong about this. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong about this. But you know when you're driving behind a semi truck, okay? Okay. Just picture yourself driving behind a semi truck, and you see the doors on the trailer, right? Okay. On the back of that big long trailer for a semi truck, and then below that, there's this big bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe that that is there because of the Jane Mansfield accident. I think they call that a Mansfield bar Ooh. because. I think she got decapitated by running up the back of a semi truck Mm. and that the bottom of that door is right about neck level. So after that accident, they made a safety code change nationwide where all tractor trailers have to have that bar on it so that your car gets wrecked, but your head doesn't get taken off. Wow. I might be wrong about that, but I think that's the case. That just made me think about that. But yeah, the more, you know, the more you know, we need that little musical thing there. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. All right. Sorry, Jane. All right. We ready to get into this? Yeah, let's get into it. So, hey, follow the podcast wherever you consume podcasts and tell a friend about it, right? Tell a That's friend. Right. About it. Invite him to the Climb community. Bring him in, man. We want to talk to everybody. That's right. right. Let's do it. All right. So Steve Leslie, again, he's a hit songwriter. He's a pro songwriter. He's an excellent teacher, great musician. He's indie artist on his own right. A lot of cool stuff about Steve, and he and I have written a bunch of fun songs together. So he, this article for Indie Music Academy, talks about how he moved to Nashville in 1992, signed his first staff songwriting deal two years later with EMI Music Publishing. At the time, there were over 30 record labels and 200 publishing companies, large and small, employing over 4,000 signed songwriters. And so most of the people he worked with at the time were true songwriters, not even artist writers like it is today. So he breaks down this. It's a lengthy article. I mean, long enough to get at least three podcast episodes out of, you know what I'm saying? It may be a little short. We're going to talk about typical 90s songwriter contract and then talk about kind of more what it's like today. And so a lot of people ask me like, hey, what's a typical songwriter's contract? Well, there's not really a standard one. Everything's negotiable. It all depends on the leverage Mm -hmm. and the situation of the publisher and yourself and all that good stuff. But According to Steve, here's a typical songwriting contract from circa 1994 to 2004. And so this is this is similar. I signed my first one in 2005. But so this says exclusive rights to all songs written during the term belong to the publishing company. So to break that down in songwriter words, everything you write while you're signed to them, they own your share of that. They don't own your co-writer's share. They don't own your mama's share. They own your share of what you write during the term of the contract. Mm-hmm. So if you're there for January 1 to December 31st, everything you write during that time period, they own the publishing. Publishing basically means ownership. Okay, so mm-hmm. all right, another part is Schedule A is required upon signing. So Schedule A is the list of songs that you are bringing into the deal. So they're the ones that got you the deal in the first place, plus all the ones you wrote in high school. Mm-hmm. All right, so Schedule A, it's, so it's because on the contract, you have the, the paperwork, the contract, and then they add schedules onto the back of it and schedule a is what it typically the songs that you wrote before the deal that you're bringing into the deal so that you're like hey this is part of this deal and so this publishing company can work this deal so when i sign with major bob they're just like what have you written put it on the list with your 
the name of the song, your co-writers and percentages, put it on the list and then get us the CDs or tapes or whatever it is at the time or links to everything. So we have copies of it. I was like, do you want to sit down and go through these and see which ones you want? They're like, no, throw it all on there. We'll, we'll figure it out later. I'm like, okay. And so that's what we did like hundred songs or 200 songs, whatever. I don't remember how much were on mine, but so that's what you wrote before your deal. That's going to become part of your deal. So they own everything that you write during the deal. And this is stuff that you're bringing into the deal that's going to become part of that deal. And so they can own that and work that as well. Schedule A. That makes sense? No, I'm a little confused. Okay. So let's take, before you got your deal with Major Bob, mm-hmm. you had Monday Morning Church. Mm-hmm. Are you saying Monday Morning Church was not put on the Schedule A? That one is, was actually not. I carved that sucker out and said, no, nah, I'm keeping that one. <laughs> so Schedule A means... Schedule A means this is everything written before the contract started, but you're going to give them ownership of that in exchange for them working the songs Mm -hmm. and trying to, what they call, exploit the copyright. Yeah. Right. And in this case, exploit is a positive term. Yeah. I like the term that Amanda Williams, I don't know if she coined it, but she used it. She says, employ the copyright. Yeah. They like to employ the copyright. That's a much better word than exploit. Yeah. We're going to employ that copyright on that song but Wait, i think of like little kids and yeah i do too i think nothing nothing good yeah it doesn't it just doesn't sound good employ i'll employ a kid sure there you go uh-huh. but anyway so yes so it's a list of specific songs that you've already written yeah. that the publishers has hey bring that in because that way you can hit the ground running from day one they have songs yeah if you have no schedule a you start off day one they got nothing to pitch for you yeah you got to write record. You got to get all this stuff going. So you lose a lot of time on the front end while you're building your catalog. Yeah, And so that makes it more attractive if you have a strong schedule A mm-hmm. to bring into your deal. Because you're like, hey, I got these songs. You love these songs. This is why you want to sign me. And you can have them if you sign me. So that's one thing that sometimes people have a hard time with if they jump right from one publishing deal to another is they have no schedule A, right? Because they went from one deal and the last song they wrote... Schedule A and everything... The first deal, yeah. Yeah, and there are things with Schedule A's that you can, and I've done this going, okay, at the end of the deal, I get my Schedule A stuff back, right? Yeah. Because you didn't pay me to write those. I didn't get a bonus to bring those in. And if you have enough leverage, you may say, okay, you want these Schedule A songs? Cool, I want a signing bonus, basically, to bring those in. Yeah. But most of the time, you don't do that. So it's like, I brought them in so you could work them. And if you get them cut, you keep them. If you don't get them cut, I want it back at the end of the deal. Yeah. Now, there may be carve-outs going, hey, if it's on hold, we get to keep it for six months that, to see if we got you the hold, then we get to hang on to that to see if it comes to fruition. And if not, it comes back. So there are all these little little things, little ticky-tack variances and nuances and stuff. But general schedule A is the stuff you wrote before the deal. You're going to bring it into the deal. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely recommend putting a trigger mechanism in place that you get those back after the deal's over. Cause they didn't pay you for those songs. Right. You did the work, you paid a demo. It's only fair. It's only fair. They, they're going to get an opportunity to work them. Right. And the ones that they converted on, Hey man, you get to keep them and you earned it. You earned it. And the ones that you don't, Hey, give them back to me. We're still, it's an amicable split and I'm moving on to the next deal. And now you've got a schedule to bring to the next deal. Yeah. And so that helps. Like I have some of the songs that I wrote before major Bob, came into my Schedule A, and they've reverted back to me since I left that deal. Some of those I took into my next deal with Pure Music and RPM. And the ones that didn't cut from that, they came back to me. Yes, I'm carrying these old songs. And I think, that, hey, this is an important thing that he's saying right now, guys, that Brent's talking about, because 
you know what? It's in the publishing company's best interest, if you don't know any better, to hold on to the songs. Because mm-hmm. if two publishing deals from now, all of a sudden, you light up on fire, right? Mm-hmm. And then everything that you've written in the past now is going to be put under a lens, and they're going to look at that. You know, what is a Brent bad? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, I want to hear that. Yeah. And so all of a sudden they can go and i'm not saying this like in a bad way or a sleazy or a slimy way it's not but it's just like it's up to you to know the difference right Mm -hmm. if you're publishing deals down the road and you schedule it everything on the first publishing deal and you didn't get it back and you hit on the third publishing deal and then you kind of blow up as the writer you become hardy right and everybody Mm -hmm. wants to work with you and everybody wants to listen to your songs and and all this stuff well that first publishing company now is going to go to town employing those copyrights, which is, hey, that's a good thing. I mean, it's going to make you money. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like that could help you with the next publishing company. Mm-hmm. It's not helping your current relationship. Right. It helps you, but it's not helping your current relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little, I think that'd be a little aggravating for the new. Oh, yeah. Well, especially considering they didn't pay you for those songs during the time that you were. Right. It, you know, it was pre-existent. Yeah. So you can carry it with you and it may make it easier to get that next deal because you do have schedule A to bring into the next deal. You have stuff that they can work from day one on that next deal. And so it just makes sense. Yeah. And, and not only that, there you go. Like if you hit that thing and then all of a sudden your contract comes up and mm-hmm. you get a better deal offered, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you go up from something like a peer or a major Bob's to Sony ATV or Warner Chapel, a major one. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be like, you can get a much better deal with that Schedule A, right? Because maybe you've blown up and now you've got that leverage to say, you know what? I do want a big stinky Mm -hmm. signing bonus if you want these songs too. Yeah, leverage. So If you're not thinking about this along the way, you could have all those songs written, have the accolades and have the brand name as you blew up, Mm -hmm. then miss a huge chunk of money because you didn't put one little line in your contract Mm -hmm. for publishing to go. Yeah. So that's just something that they're not going to fight you on that. They shouldn't, you know, they're like, yeah, go ahead. So that's, again, this is like nineties to early two thousands pub deals. Normally it would be one final thing. uh They're not going to fight you on it, but they're probably not going to remember to bring it up. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So the term of the deal, how long is a deal? So according to Steve here, 90s, it was typical what's called a two plus one. So two years up front, like two years guaranteed with a publisher having the option to renew you for another year. So that's what we call it two plus one. You get two guaranteed plus one publisher options. The publisher's option, not your option. So you're both locked in for two years. And then the publisher can decide unilaterally whether or not to keep you for another year or not. Mm-hmm. It's not your choice. It's their choice. Right. And then after that, you're a free agent and you both have to decide, hey, do we want to continue this relationship or not? You become a free agent at that point. So two years up front plus one. So there you go. So, you know, like, okay, I got this stuff coming in, this draw or this whatever, two years. Uh, Demo budget. A demo budget of $500 per song split between you and your publisher. So overages were charged to your account. All writer share of the demo costs were recoupable from all royalties except for the writer share of performance income through like BMI, ASCAP, or CSAC. So we'll break that down. So demo budget. So you have maybe your draw, and we'll get to the draws in a little bit, but how much you get paid per month mm-hmm. in advance against future royalties. And then you also have a demo budget that may ha- you may, in some of my contracts, like here's what your yearly demo budget is, is X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so that's kind of like, okay. Because that's money that the publisher company's going to put out up front for you to demo songs, and which normally, if it's their money, they get a say so. So you got to get prior approval to spend money, spend their money on demos. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have a budget per song or total budget bank. So that's like 500. So if it's $500 per song for your share, then your publisher says, we'll eat 250 and the other 250 is recoupable, meaning when you start making money, we're going to get that 250 back yeah. for the demo from wherever the money comes in, except for performances before you get paid. Yeah. So that's mechanicals like CD sales at the time in the nineties, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We get that 250 back from that $500 demo. We'll eat the other 250 partner on that. Right. So that's how demo budget goes. And you'd have to get, and we talked about demos in that process on my last episode. Hey, can I, can I ask you a quick question about the mm-hmm. demo budget? So yeah. typically in the 90s, it's going to be one other writer. We talked about that two episodes ago. Uh-huh. So they're going to have a $500 demo budget. So your total budget's a 1000 bucks for the song. Is that right? Yeah, it'd be something like that. Yeah. All right, cool. And always some variation, but basically that. So your share would be 500 and of which the publisher eats 250 and you're recoupable on 250 right. And that's per song. But I was, just, I was just thinking, like, how much are they spending to record the song? And that's going to be like a thousand bucks if it's two writers. Yeah, man. For me, that like that first deal again, two thousand five, six, and seven. It was pretty targeted, like around eight hundred bucks. But I had something get above a thousand before. Yeah. And so, and you just talk that out. You get approval. It was all pretty standardized too. Yeah. Unless you're bringing in extra singers and a bunch of overdubs or whatever alternate mixes or so if you had if so let's say it was costing you 800 bucks to cut your average song mm-hmm. which is about that's about right it's what kelly and i were charging in mm-hmm. 2012 mm-hmm. It was like 850 and we weren't even the cheapest guys in town i mean you had mm-hmm. what's his face, larry their beard larry beard charging 600 mm-hmm. 
But if you had that, then... But, you know, you got to add on singers and that kind of stuff, too. So it gets up there. But anyway... That's true. That's only for the track. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. So, and then the mix, mm-hmm. you got to add on the mix and the singer. So, all right. So let's just say it's like, I guess you're, yeah, you're going to creep up to, you're going to get up to a thousand. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Does that, that be your question? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> all right. So I'm just trying to do the math in my head on the, like the, the total dollar math. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's adding on to your recoup things. So uh, let's see what else. Oh, minimum song delivery commitment or your quota. What's your quota? You hear somebody say, hey, got a quota with that deal. That means it's a number of songs of fully written compositions that you have to turn in. Mm-hmm. And that are accepted. Yes. They may say of acceptable commercial quality. And so what this is, this is kind of where they hold you accountable. Like they've put themselves on the hook for an advance, a dollar amount each month that they're going to pay you and they own everything you write. Well, guess what? You better write some stuff. Right. So this is kind of what protects the publisher from you just sitting on your butt and not doing anything. Right. And just going, I'm just collecting the money. Remember when you were in college and you blew off that big essay that you had to do. And then literally the night before it was due, you spent up, up all night just trying to mm-hmm. ash something together. <laughs> yeah. You can't do a publishing deal like that. You can't. <laughs> right. They don't want a bunch of quota songs here the last month. You know, you're signed January through December, which it, it doesn't necessarily go on calendar years. So I'm just using that for simplicity's sake. You got signed January 1. You don't turn any songs in until December, but you're collecting checks every month. And all of a sudden you turn in X amount of just crappy songs you wrote in one day. And you're like, there we go. First of all, if you're that kind of person, I don't know how you ever got a deal in the first place. And you're not taking it seriously. So shame on you. But I don't know, whatever you say on the first, you've spent your first draw check, your advance check on drugs, and then you're hooked and you don't write any more songs. You're just living in the gutter where you still got your drug check (laughs) from your advance. Maybe something like that. But like, so what this does is the quota protects the the publisher so they can put you in breach of contract. You don't turn your songs in. And so I've seen contracts that say every quarter you have to have a quarter of that quota turned in. Yeah. That way you don't wait till December. Yeah. You know, month 12 to turn everything in. And if you don't turn it in, they can keep your draw check. Mm -hmm. You don't get paid anymore if you're not turning stuff in. So. Back in the 90s, the quota was 12 wholly written songs. Wholly written songs means 12 full copyrights or the equivalent of 12 full copyrights a year. And again, yeah, like you said, Johnny, most of this in the 90s, you were two writers on a song. And so you turn that song in that you'll say, Steve Leslie and I wrote a song. And we did. So I turned my song that I wrote with Steve into Major Bob. That would count as half of a wholly written composition as far as toward my quota. Yeah. Because they only control half of it. Yeah. Steve and his publisher at the time controlled the other half. Yeah. So it only counts as half a song. So if it's 12 wholly written songs a year and you do everything 50-50 co-writes, that means you better turn in 24 songs or song titles to reach that 12. Yeah. So there you go. If it's all three ways, then it's 36 titles in the year to reach 12. That's three songs... No, it's six songs a quarter. Three three ways to equal one fully written composition. Two two ways to read it one. Yes, that's six songs a quarter. So yeah, math. And so, okay, so 12 wholly written songs a year. That's only one a month. Yeah. So quota has never been an issue for me. I don't know of anyone that it's an issue for, because if you take it seriously, you should be writing way more than your quota, because... This is a serious business. Go get after it. But again, so it's mainly just to protect them so they can hold you and breach a contract if you literally just blow them off and decide not to do anything and not do your job. Mm-hmm. They can go, okay, you breach a contract. 
our two plus one just became done and we don't have to pay you anymore if you draw. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. But 12 holy written songs a year. So if you ever talk to someone about quota, that's what that's talking about. All right. Advances or a draw. Like, hey, man, you getting an advance. Are you getting a draw? That same two words for the same thing. It's paid by the publisher to the writer. So this is like your monthly. I'm just used to calling it a draw. Mm -hmm. And so what they pay you to live on so that you can focus on writing songs. Mm -hmm. That's basically what that is. It's an advance against future earnings. It's usually a BS amount of money, too. <laughs> it's, it's not a lot of money. Back then, Steve says it ranged from 12K to 15K. So 12,000 to 15,000 a year for your draw. Yeah. So that's supposed to help you get a couple of roommates and now you can just write songs as much as you can and try to get them hits. Yep. And then when you get those hits, then they recoup from mechanicals which is record sales. Mm -hmm. And then that money that comes in, so say you earn a dollar in royalties because you get a cut on the a Clint Black record because this is the 90s. And the first dollar that comes in, mechanicals off his record sales, off his album, the first dollar that comes in, the publisher, and this is a standard, the publisher owns all the publishing. So they keep all the publisher share, which would be 50 cents off that dollar. Mm -hmm. And you would get all the writer share, which is 50 cents on that dollar. But they've already paid you in advance and some demo budget. So that first $50 that comes in, $0.50 is going to go to them for the publisher share. And that $0.50, cents, a writer share, is going to go to the publisher to pay them back for what they've already advanced you for your monthly draw right. and your demo budget. And if you did it, if it's a co-write, then it's $0.25. Cents. Well, I'm just saying the dollar that comes in to the publisher, but yes. So that would be, if it's a 50-50 co-write, $2 is earned. One dollar goes oh, to the co-writer, yeah, the dollar to the and then the dollar that comes into yeah, the publishing yeah, that's company. That's a better way to look at it. You're right. So that's basically, simpler. you don't make any money say in the 90s, you didn't make any money above your draw off royalties until they were recouped, until you were recouped, until the the publishing company made back the money they advanced you and invested in you. So they get their half and they get your half until they are paid back for what you owe them. So that's recoupment. Yep. And back in the 90s, they would not recoup off public performances or the performance monies. So your PRO money, your ASCAP, your BMI, your CSAC. So if you had a Tim McGraw hit on the radio, then you're still getting your performance shares, even if you're unrecouped. So your publisher, so for the first 100,000 that comes in, your publisher is going to keep 50,000 for their publisher share because they own all your publishing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get 50,000 off your writer share even if you're still unrecouped. Mm -hmm. So you may still show a balance because say maybe Tim hadn't sold that many records or whatever, but it's a big hit on radio. Like you could still be unrecouped as far as advances and demo budget, but everyone's made money. Well, how about this? Let's say you got a cut on a Tim McGraw record that wasn't a single. Right. That wasn't a big hit on the radio, but he's playing it live on this tour. Mm -hmm. I think you would only get paid on the mechanicals. Of course, that depends on your particular deal, but it was common they would only collect from mechanicals, not performances. And there was no digital at the time. Okay. So they wouldn't touch your ASCAP, CSAC, or BMI money. Right. So even like ASCAP would send your writer share directly to you, and they would send the publisher directly to the publisher. Right. Like they wouldn't even get their little grubby hands on it to pass it through. They'd just like, nope, send it separately. Right. But then all the mechanical money that would come in from the label, that goes to the publisher. Mm -hmm. And then the publisher would divvy up publisher share and writer share. And then if you're unrecouped, they keep your writer share to pay them back. If you are recouped, then the publisher share flows on or the writer share flows onto you. Yeah. So you have to be recouped to start making money above your draw or 
performance money. That's right. So let's just break down the math on that. You go two years in, mm-hmm. right? Let's say it's it's December of your second year. Yeah. And you're getting twelve thousand a year. So that's a thousand a month. That's twenty-four grand. Twenty-four grand. And plus demos, right? right. Plus like probably let's say probably twenty-four demos at two hundred fifty bucks a pop, right? Well, let's just say a total amount of say ten grand in demos. So that's thirty-four grand that you are unrecouped. Yeah. Say you've not brought in any money from royalties. Yeah. So you you owe them your thirty four grand unrecouped at the end of those two years. Yeah. And so it gets to the point where they're looking and going, hmm, do we fish or cut bait? This is the end of the two years. Do we want to pick up this option or not? Because remember, we talk about a two plus one. So they're guaranteed for those two years. But toward the end of that second year, they're looking going, do we want to renew this cat for another year? Hmm, he hadn't running anything. Yeah. Do we want to invest another year thinking something to pop or do we want to cut them loose? And by the way, if they cut you loose, like at the end of your deal, they keep everything that you wrote during your time with them while they were paying you. Mm-hmm. So they're going to keep that regardless. And they'll continue to work it because they want to get cuts. And at that point, it doesn't matter that you're with them or not. And they want to get an ROI, a return on their investment. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to be figuring that out. And so then in that case, the first 34000 that comes in, of rider share is going to go pay them back mm-hmm. and they'll continue to collect on your rider share on those songs long after you're gone mm-hmm. because they own it. So eventually you hope even if it's afterwards, you get recouped and then you start seeing checks from them again, but that's down the road mm-hmm. and you don't want to get to that point. You want to go get some cuts and make, make you money. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, so that's a lot of stuff. Any questions about kind of the nineties and early two thousands. And then we're just going to kind of break some of this out for the more modern songwriter contracts Mm -hmm. all right so the first thing is that this is according to steve here typical first-time songwriter contract provisions are much the same as before so um, this still has a lot of that same stuff in there except for like a small bump in pay but really probably not one that is stays ahead of inflation (laughs) especially inflation lately yeah so but things can get interesting if you're also assigned to artist if you're the producer or someone who has written a bunch of songs with an artist of interest like with a a known artist Mm -hmm. What do we call that? We call that leverage. Mm-hmm. So if you have leverage, you can demand a bigger draw or you may not need one. You may go, I got money coming in. It's cool. I want to keep my draw low. Why would you want to keep your draw low? Because it gives you more leash. Because it's less to recoup. Less to recoup. Yeah. And so. And more runway and more runway. More runway to make something happen before they go, do we need to cut them loose or not? Yeah. If it's two years down the road, if it's a two plus one, if it's two years down the road, and they haven't made any money off you, but they've got a lot of songs that they're working that got some activity and stuff, but they haven't spent any money on you, or maybe they're five grand in the hole as opposed to 35 grand in the hole, mm-hmm. or 10 grand in the hole as opposed yeah. to, you know, hey man, yeah, let's sign them on for another year. Like this isn't costing us that much to get more, another year of opportunities yeah. on a, a songwriter that we already know is a great songwriter, right? Yeah. That we already believe in enough to sign. So you get another year of runway. Mm-hmm. To work in those relationships, getting those pitch, those song pitchers, working your songs. That's a big, big deal, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about the leverage. Uh, let's see here. What else? So if you've co-written songs with the artist, it might serve you better to forego a publishing deal and wait and wait for your song to get traction and eventually start making some money. At that point, the publishers are going to come calling for you anyway, and you will have more leverage to be in a better negotiating position. Mm-hmm. So just makes sense, right? So a lot of the stuff is the same. They still have exclusive rights to what you write during the term. If there's a Schedule A, they want you to bring that in so they have something to work from day one. It's usually, it might be a 
two plus one or might be a three plus one or maybe they go year to year. I mean, publishing deals have changed a lot these days because basically uh, I'd said at the beginning, there were over 30 labels. There were 200 publishing companies, large and small. There aren't nearly as many publishing companies now. There aren't nearly as many labels now. There's not many, nearly as much opportunity for outside writers to get cuts on songs. So publishers are much more about trying to get you in the right room than they are about trying to get your song in the right room. They're trying to get you in the right rooms. Yeah, because, the I mean, let's break this down. Let's say you write a, a deep cut on like a Dixie Chicks songs in the 2000s, mm -hmm. right? On a Dixie Chicks record. Yeah. And let's say that record sells, it's a biggie, right? Well, just not even the Dixie, let's say it sells a million copies. It goes platinum, Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, it was like, you know, everything went platinum, right? Like it's just going crazy. Yeah. So it sells a million copies, mm -hmm. right? But you don't have the single. So you're not, they're not making the publishing money off the radio. They don't have the big cash in there. Mm -hmm. But what was that deep cut worth that wasn't a single? I can tell you. Yeah. So- well, it depends on what the statutory rate was, say, at what point in the 90s. Let's say $0.09 cents per album sold. So somebody buys a Dixie Chicks CD at Walmart, and every song on that record just generated $0.09 cents each for their writers and publishers to be split between writers and publishers. Mm -hmm. so let's just say you solo write. Let's keep the math a little simpler. Solo write. So you have one song on a Dixie Chicks record. They Somebody bought it in 1995, whenever they came out. And... All right, so you have one song on there, boom, your publishers are going to get nine cents from the label, Monument or wherever they were at the time. And so that nine cents, and now four and a half cents is publisher share. Thank you. Four and a half cents is writer share, so which can go to pay your recoup. Times a million. Times a million. So that becomes 45,000 publisher share, 45,000 writer share. Yeah. So, man, people could make good livings and keep deals and get good draws yeah. just by having album cuts in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. This ain't the '90s, right? Not anymore. Now it's all about that. Now you got to write the single. Man. Now you got to write the single. That's where the money is. Because That's where of, the streaming money is going to be. That's where. It, well, even and streaming money is still. I mean, yeah, that's where the money is as far as streaming goes, but it still ain't great, right? It's still terrestrial radio is where the big bucks are made. Yeah. Now people aren't selling records, Yeah. right? They're not selling mechanicals. Nobody's going platinum or almost nobody. So you're not going to make that 45000 And now the statutory rate has gone up, but still, you're not making the money you were off record sales yeah. or vinyl sales. It's just not what it used to be in the 90s. Yeah. So you got to get, you got to get spins, baby. You got to get spins on radio. You got to get spins you got to get a ton of digital stuff to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. It's just really hard. So that's changed the math for publishers going, gosh, okay, we got to get singles. We can't just live off album cuts. We got to write the singles. Yeah. And that's, that's been tough on writer. Cause now we're just, we're not as worried about writing that great song. That's just really cool, but it could be an awesome B side kind of thing. It's like, okay, we got to write a single. Yeah. You just said that for Josh uh -huh. earlier this episode. We need some singles. <laughs> yes, well, you and do. I'm also, I'm also approaching this from, I mean, look, if you go back over time and you look at albums as a whole, right, mm -hmm. there are a lot. It was like the norm, the industry norm. Let's be real. Like 99.99% of all albums was like two hits and a lot of filler. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every friggin' Rolling Stones record. Mm-hmm. Like I had one or two really good songs on it. And I love all those songs from the Rolling Stones, but those other ones didn't compete with some of the big ones, man. Yeah. You know, didn't compete with Brown Sugar. So then you look at, when you look at a producer like Mutt Lang, when mm -hmm. he comes in and he's like, man, let's just keep going mm -hmm. until 
we get every song. It's like, let's try to make all the songs on the album a single so that you have a band like Def Leppard can happen or a band like ACDC can happen where they've got five or six releases that are hit songs off mm. of one album. And that's yeah. how you sell 10 million records. Yeah. Because the songs, the freaking same content from that album is on the radio for two years mm -hmm. or more. And they just keep releasing and you can go that deep because the songs are that good. Yeah. I mean, that was Mutt Lang, 1980, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he did Highway to Hell. That was the first one he did with ACDC. And then he did Back in Black after Bon Scott died. Mm -hmm. And then he did Pyromania when he did Pyromania with Def Leppard. I mean, that was the game changer, right? Like everybody's like, oh my God, there's like five singles or six singles on the, yeah. I don't hear a single. It's like fighting over which one should go first. Yeah. And they did it again with Hysteria. This is by design. Didn't Shania Twain do that? Yeah. But now, because it's all singles and there are no mechanical sales, it's like that's the way you got to think about it as like an executive producer, mm -hmm. somebody in, looking over an artist's career. Like, okay, man, I need more. I need this song to work on Spotify. Like, you know what I mean? Like the money, mm -hmm. Spotify is not breaking artists, but the money is on Spotify, even as crappy as we, it is that we're talking about. Still, that's where all the labels are getting their money right now. Yeah, well, that's label side. Yeah, that's they have a different deal than publishing because they get a better deal than publishers sure. do. So for writer side, it's like, Oh boy, but still there. Like, so the ability for, and we're talking to indie artists here, mm -hmm. you know, the ability for an indie artist to be considered seriously by the Spotify people or Spotify algorithm for an editorial playlist, the pre runway playlist, that's going to get you to the big playlist. And then the post runway, you know, the landing playlist, that's going to get you after you come off the big playlist mm -hmm. where you can get, two, three, four, five million streams, right? Mm -hmm. Just making everybody more money, man. That's all about your popularity score and how well that song does. Yeah. How many skips, how many saves, mm -hmm. how many 100% listens. Like they're looking at it from a data standpoint. So, you know, that song's got to rock, man. Yeah. So it's, and, and getting back to like the publishing deal aspect of it, so there aren't as many publishers. They have to be much more mindful of the money that's going out because if you're not getting singles, it's hard to get money coming in. And so there's a lot more writer artists. Mm -hmm. So they can put out their own stuff and, and they can get some money coming in. There's producer writers that are getting, you know, because again, it, it's that leverage is when they're trying to get you in the right rooms, it sure helps if you're the artist, then automatically you're much more the right room that people are trying to get in with you. And so it's that sort of thing. Draws, I think, are if you can get a draw, right? So Yeah, if you get one. Exactly. Some people may just get a, like, just cover my demos. That's all I need. Because I either do an, I gig out or I do other stuff for the money. Just cover my demos so I don't have to write the check for that and... And then we'll split it. I don't want to come out of pocket for this deal. I don't want to come out of pocket for this. And then you cover the demos and then, then we get split whatever you get cut. So there, there are all kinds of ways of doing deals. Now I think it's a lot more flexible than it used to be because publishers just don't have the, the money to shell out mm -hmm. except for the people that are really just the better risk bringing the money in or have that leverage to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like it used to be. There are a lot more of like pitch to earn kind of things like, oh, I'm signed somewhere. Are they paying you a draw? Nope. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just really more of a plugger deal. They're not even paying your demos or your draw, but they'll pitch your songs. And if they get it is like a pitch to earn, mm -hmm. like if I can get a cut, 
Yeah, I'm not charging you. And we'll talk about a deal. Yeah. You know, the, almost the only difference between them and an independent song plugger is an independent song plugger charges you up front to have them work your stuff. And that's how they make their money. Plus, if they get it cuts, they may take some publishing share or not, depending on the deal. Some of these publishers are like, tell you what, I'll work it for you. And if I, you know, but I'm not going to charge you. And I'll try to get you in good rooms, that sort of thing. But then if we get cuts, then I keep publishing on it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I just keep everything during this deal and I try to get a cut. So they're all kind of variations of that. Mm -hmm. But what it comes down to is get leverage, which means write great songs, get in good rooms, start making your own money. And publishers will come sniffing around because they want to make money. If you're the means to that end, you know, I think we talked earlier about service business. Yeah. If you can help them make money, they want to shake your hand. They want to get to know you. They want to help you help them make money. So we called it the climb, creating leverage, leverage in, in the music, music business. That's get right. some leverage and all the people you want to work with are going to come out of the woodwork. Hey, yeah. we got a deal for you. And I would say that even having a deal, Steve had mentioned in the same article that most of the people he wrote with had deals. Because why would you not? Those are the cream of the crop. Those are the pros. Those are people having teams around them. I don't think it's as as big a deal that you have a deal now because there are so few deals to be had that it's not even, I don't think, now it's definitely a feather in your cap. If like, yeah, I'm signed somewhere for sure, Mm -hmm. but it's not a deal breaker because I'm self-published. I've been self-published for a few years now. Yeah. And most everyone I write with actually has deals. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so it's not prohibitive. Yeah. That if you don't have a deal, you can't get in the club to write with people that have deals. No, if you're good and you bring good stuff to the table and help them make money, mm-hmm. hey, they'll, you know, I have publishers that set me up with rights. Yeah. Even though I don't have a publisher representing me. You're the right guy for the room. I'm doing my song plugging. I'm doing, I pay for my part of the demos and I'm the right guy for the room. They think so. So let's get Brent in the room. We'll get a better product out of it. So there's still opportunity there. But anyway, broad strokes is kind of what's been going on between publishing deals between the 90s and now. I have a gift for you for hanging in there with us for a little bit of a longer episode for me lately. But it's called Six Simple Ways to Make Your Songs More Commercial. I've been getting good feedback on this. I was talking to someone the other day. It was like, man, that's like it's becoming like my Bible kind of thing of going through there. And it's very actionable. But Six Simple Ways to Make Your Songs More Commercial. It's a free PDF download. You can get it at six, the number six, dot simple ways dot songwritingpro.com and just go to songwritingpro.com and look up at the top it says free gift and you'll find it and just tell me where to email it we email it out to you it's my gift to you and it'll help you on your journey awesome well thank you buddy that brings us to the end of another killer climb episode make sure that you join the climb community make sure you follow the podcast so you get all the episodes you can kind of check them mm-hmm. and then finally tell a friend about it that's the best thing you can do this okay. podcast this because we want you to win so keep on climbing Oh, and also six simple ways. It's in the show notes. Keep on climbing. We'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 